Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 124, The Two-Dimensional Vividness. I even said that wrong, that was horrible. The Two-Dimensional Vividness. There you go, I got it right the second time. <laughs> I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Dustin as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Good, you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I just learned before we started talking, or when we're talking, that you said you're a podcaster as well, which is fantastic. Yeah. I always love talking to other podcasters. Yeah, uh, it's always awesome to have another one. But today we're not going to be talking about podcasting itself. We're going to be talking about your other passion, your other hobby, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. But before we do that, we're going to jump into a little bit more of who is Dustin. So if you don't mind me asking, who is Dustin? I am a polymath, which essentially means a jack-of-all-trades or someone who's multi interested in different areas, a master multiple skills, so to speak. And I created my personal brand, Poly Innovator, based off that concept. And so my spriting hobby, which we're talking about today, evolved from into this personal brand and it kind of joined together. You know what? That's all we need. That is a perfect definition. And I'm sure people will learn more about you throughout the entire conversation. It's like, oh, Dustin does that? Oh, that's how he does it? Oh, okay. Like, I'm interested more in Dustin now. But yes, for now, we're going to be talking about your hobby. But before we do that, do you have any social media links, websites, or projects, or even a podcast, anything at all that you would love to share? Yes, I have a a website, polyinnovator.space, where I put most of my stuff on there, as well as a DeviantArt page where you can see a lot of the sprites and pixel art that I do. The username is at Zemo71 for the DeviantArt. Perfect. I'll put that information in the description below so people can go check that out, show some love, show some support, and, you know, just watch you grow. And now for the topic of today, we're going to be talking about video game sprites and pixel art. Do you mind giving a definition of what that is for people who might not know what it is? Yes, of course. So sprites usually refer to two-dimensional characters in video games or just objects in general. And so anyone who's played any old Mario games, that side-scrolling image, that character of Mario who's jumping up in the air, the animations of how he looks when he's standing still and the animations that he does when he's jumping up and getting the goal and stopping on the Goombas. Those are all sprites, and sprites is part of a bigger umbrella called pixel art. You know what? I got to be honest, Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo was my favorite game. Like just back then when I was a kid, I just love the vividness and the colors and it's just so cool. And the soundtrack, of course. Oh, yeah. And go- going into the Star World and getting Yoshis. I never beat the game as a kid. I was just like, really? yeah, I wasn't that good as a kid. But now as an adult, as a responsible adult with responsibilities, I know how to beat the game. <laughs> yeah, I would hope so now. Yeah, yeah. Is it 28? You don't know how to beat that game from back in the days? Nope, Alex. Nope, you don't. <laughs> There's actually a secret world, a special world that I never was able to get to either. I heard there was like rumors as well. Like there's a hidden place not on top of the secret world as well. So yeah, video game rumors. They'll keep you hooked. Like Pokemon with the missing yes. note and all that. Yeah, I caught that by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. I never did. That's awesome. Now for you, how did you actually get introduced to, let's say, video game sprites and pixel art? Uh, speaking of Pokemon, I was always very uh, attracted to the Pokemon games. All throughout my childhood, I played pretty much every single main series game. And around the time I was about 10 or 11, I got onto my uncle's computer and started looking up sprites on Google search. And for some reason, I started saving them to his computer. I probably downloaded like 200 images, the poor guy. <laughs> and I just had this insane collection mentality, just like collecting them all in the actual video game. I wanted to collect all the sprites. And so for the next five years or so, I started collecting Zelda, Pokemon and Mario sprites. 
So wait, do you still have that collection or is it gone? Um, I think it's pretty much gone at this point. I have revamped a lot of my collections and decreased the overall size because I thought, well, I'm, I make more sprites now. I don't need to have the old ones. And then on top of that... I also just felt like, oh, I have compilations. I don't need the individual pictures. This might be a very hard question, but you, do you still remember the first sprite you saved? Pikachu. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So wait, why Pikachu? Um, I don't know. Like, like when I think about that uh, day on his computer, the only sprite I can remember is Pikachu. And I think it was like a Pokemon gold and silver sprite or something like that. And it just spoke to you. And yeah, Pikachu is very popular around the world, even for people for people who don't even know what Pokemon is. They think Pokemon is Pikachu. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And for you, you said you do pixel art as well, which is the topic of today. So what kind of pixel art and sprites do you prefer to do? I've done my hand at like video game environments, but I wasn't very good at that per se. I'm really good at recoloring. So I can often do, I can take an image and make it look fantastic just by using a new palette and really kind of getting the uh, uh, underlying shading and getting everything look very uh, popping out to you, so to speak. But most of the time I do a lot of sprites, so like Pokemon Pokedexes and fake Pokemon or fake Pokemon as they're called. And then I also have done quite a bit of custom Zelda sprites as well. Whenever I'm doing my spriting, I don't want too many sharp edges. So for example, on the 3DS version of the Super Smash Bros, there's those hard lines around the characters to differentiate them from the backgrounds. Part of this is because of the 3D aspect of the game. The same kind of style is shown in a lot of 3DS Pokemon games as well, where the hard line behind the character is causing it to look a little bit more distinct so that way people can actually see it better but it's not actually very uh creative or well designed i would say as a artistic so to, uh, so to speak for the models and the same kind of thing goes for sprites as well whenever you look at certain sprites there may be this kind of dynamic of like how these colors come together so they can be pronounced like hey you have the little lighter color at the top of the hat for a character but then it gets slightly darker slightly darker slightly darker but there's also different angles such as when there's a lighting like if you have some kind of uh, unity or unreal engine effect you kind of want that lighting to be able to affect the sprite and one problem i've seen with a lot of newer games nowadays is that the actual lighting on the sprites don't always mesh well because of the way they make them in the first place the baseline shading and uh, intent to them for the light and darker areas aren't always made well. So when you translate that with a newer design for like an actual external uh, video processing, it doesn't actually shine out well. So when I do my own spriting, especially with the Pokemon spriting, I try to create this flow of color. So I was talking about pillow shading in this episode where we are talking about how a lot of people try to just do line after line after line and call that shading. But there's a certain nuance to where the shading should go and how the line should cut off and i really wanted to transition all the colors together i didn't want to have a sharp edge and so you'll notice in a lot of the designs that i'll eventually release that there's not really very many sharp edges even for a horn or something like that there's a gradual transition some uh designs might have like less shading but there's not as much sharp edges or there's no black lines for example this is one thing I really wanted to mention, is that there's no black lines in any of my uh, designs. I always color in all the lines for all the shading. So one really crucial thing that I do uniquely is that for every part of the body, let's say there's a blue leg for a Blastoise. 
But on actual Pokemon sprites, the blue leg is surrounded by a black outline that's not very descriptive of that color. Obviously, there's black is not going to be on the Blastoise, except for maybe in the tubes or something like that. So what I do is I take the color of the leg and create a much darker version of that, almost, almost like it was a dark gray or black, and use that as the edge of it, which really transitions it. It gives it that stark contrast that you like in a lot of these uh, games, and that we can see, hey, this is the edge of the foot. But it gives it much of a more transition because it has the actual color to it. And this goes for all the parts, the brown shell, the blastoise, the blue, uh, the blue skin of the uh, creature, and the tan of the belly. If you can create that contrast without diluting the colors, that's what's really key. That is so cool. So you're, you're technically like just remastering, kind of like how everyday nowadays video games are being remastered. You're remastering pixel art. And also, too, uh, I've always really loved maps, even just drawing them as a kid on a piece of paper. But I've taken a Zelda map or Pokemon map or even Harvest Moon and recreating them into a new style or even... Just completely custom, that kind of thing. Now, you probably have a giant collection of maps and characters. Have you created your own fantasy world, like a, a, a main character, a storyline for a map? Oh, man, that's funny that you say that, because actually in the past year, I started making uh, uh, maps for this story. So when I was a kid, back when um, I was first getting into sprites, I was always a video game uh, player playing all kinds of different consoles, loving RPGs. And I started writing my own RPG series way back then. And uh, all throughout my school years, I was always a terrible student. And I would just <laughs> sit there and write stories the whole time. And uh, I remember writing like full-on sagas. And I remember most of it, but I had a lot of it written down. I think I lost some of it over the years, but I managed to keep a lot of it. I even made a comic at one point based off that story. But my stupid young mind was like, oh, I'm going to recycle this because I'm done with it now. I wish I had kept it. Oh, no. Wait, do you still remember yeah. the actual storyline or is it just lost? In uh, yeah, for the most part, I remember most of the storylines. I made sure I did. And so I actually digitized pretty much all the stuff I had used Evernote and pictures to digitize the images. And then I typed out all the stuff I've written out. And then I started adding to it. And I actually do intend on using Poly Innovator Gaming, a kind of subset of my brand, to eventually create it into an actual game series. That is so cool. And so you know how to do actual video games or are you looking for people to help you out with that? A little bit of both. I mean, I've, I've done a lot of research into game design and understanding how different areas of audio and video and Oh, no, I say video, but the graphics, uh, how, how all these different areas come together to really make an awesome game. So I'd almost be like a game director, so to speak, but I would need people who could program because I am I could use some visual scripting or something like that in Unity. A lot of people can, but I feel like if I had someone dedicated to it who was much better than me, it would be way uh, way more efficient. Well, you know, if somebody's listening to this and wants to help out Dustin, you know, I'm sure you wouldn't say no, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> yeah, hit me up. There you go. Welcoming with open arms or open pixels. I don't know if that's a saying, but it is open a saying now. <laughs> it's a saying now you could use that as a tweet for it welcome in with open pixels open pixels yes <laughs> so for you you said you drew and also you do it on the computer so what are your preferred tools to use to create these sprites and pixel art you know what's really funny is that a lot of graphic designers which spriting his graphics design in its own right and it's one of the things people usually use like photoshop more advanced tools like that and there's also krita and uh, affinity photo these more advanced tools are really awesome but when you get down to the pixels they often get kind of clunky at trying to be very specific and there's actually some pixel art tools out there, but I never got around to doing those. I think they're more for animations anyways. But I like to get my hands nitty gritty with each animation, really styling them and that kind of thing. 
so for the longest time, I just used MS Paint mm. of all programs. Yeah. And then I moved on to paint.net in recent years because I could do a little bit more with that. That's pretty cool. I love how you're like starting off with something that a lot of people start off with when it comes to like creating art is Microsoft mm-hmm. Paint. You know what's funny is that Microsoft Paint is really good well with transparency. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm able to really kind of compile or uh, rearrange certain pixel arts and put it all together uniquely because of the transparency. Even paint.net can do transparency, but it's a lot more uh, barriers. Like there's more steps to do in order to do it versus just paint. You click a couple buttons and everything's transparent or every white part is transparent. That's pretty cool. I know as well, if you want to save it on a drive, I think Google Drive has like a Google Paint. Like, oh. I don't know if that's a thing, but it saves it in the cloud if you're ever interested in that. I'll I, look into it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's free. I'm, I'm I'm, helping you out, but I'm sure you know a lot more about this. You're like, yes, Alex, I already know all this. What are you <laughs> telling me? I'm just going to pretend like... I didn't like, know about the Google Paint. <laughs> that's good. And uh, so for you, back to the actual questions, on a personal level, what would you say is the best part about being a pixel art artist and sprite artist? I mean, just like any kind of artist, I think having some feedback and people really loving it over the years i've gotten a ton of llamas and like likes on deviant simply because people liked my remasters for example uh, harvest moon would have these sprites in the game the little walkable characters and then they would have the pixel art of the actual characters talking and for some reason there was a dissonance in the colors the palette for the actual sprites was very unsaturated and looked kind of crappy in my opinion but the actual pixel art of the characters were very vivid and colorful so one of the simple things i would do when i was bored would just take the colors from the newer palette and put them onto the older the the more desaturated sprites and it was a very neat experience but simple simple enough to do and people really liked that and they were like hey i thank you for doing this actually when you say people really liked it have you ever considered or have done uh, pixel art of, let's say, family and friends or yourself or even a map of your block or neighborhood? I have not. You you would think that with a kind of creative outlet like this, you would find some way of doing something personal like that. But for the most part, what really drives me is like when a new Zelda game comes out or a new Pokemon game comes out, that's what usually gets me back into the spriting habit. Like for the past couple of months, I haven't sprited hardly at all. But then for the past year before that, I was doing it like a consistent hobby consistent habit so it just goes with the flow and you know what there's so many new indie games coming out i think oh, they're, yeah. and uh they're really good i think there's one on the switch it's kind of it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely pixel art i believe and it's uh about archers and you play with your friends and i could see you just taking a look at that and you'd be like you know what i can make it look better <laughs> yeah you know, it's funny i have done that in the past where i was looking at some uh video games and i was like you know what there there could be some better shading on those sprites and there's a certain artistic style just having more simple shading like some sprites will just have two colors and that's it and they wanted to make sure it's more almost retro in a way but adding just one more color with a little bit more outline or something like that could make a big difference in how it pops actually speaking of which for let's say one character how many different positions would you make on average? Animations were some of my weak points over the years. Like side, side to side for some reason always got me. I could do front and back really well. I usually say at least four because like depending on what kind of generation you're going after, like Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Game Boy, um, or even some of the more advanced sprites nowadays that have like 100 frames or something like that. There's It's interesting how depending on what you're going for, you could go for very little or very much. 
you always want to go modular. So you don't actually have to make frames per se, but making certain action like the arm bending, the knees running, and then you could put it onto the sprites. I think that's how a lot of them do it nowadays. You know what? One that just popped up in my mind as one of the most beautiful sprites I've ever seen when I was growing up was Golden Sun. Yeah, I heard about that. I played that game a little bit. Yeah. So those, like, the more I'm talking to you right now, I'm like, oh, flashback. Like, I got introduced to video games with sprites and I'm like, oh, yeah, this is bringing back good memories. Kirby and all that. <laughs> but it's not about my nostalgia. It's still about you. I got to keep that in mind. So actually for you, how long does it usually take you to complete a project? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Because uh, think of it like I talked about earlier about being a polymath and I've always been very divergent in my interests. And so, for example, spriting, I love Pokemon, Zelda, Harvest Moon. I never really got into Mario sprites as much, but I had all four of those just collecting or spriting or recoloring or remastering. And so I would often get to the point where I'd get almost finished or really or done with some of them, but never wanted to release. And so I wanted to be perfectionist. I was like, I don't want to release any of this until it's all done. And so like for Pokédex, for example, I could have 200 out of 250 done, but not want to release until the whole 250 is done. So that's been a hindrance of mine. Now I can see that. I can see like the idea of like you want it to be a complete project. You want people to be like, not say, well, where's the rest? It's like, well, it's there. It's all there. Yeah. And so if you look at my DeviantArt or my DA account, it's going to be kind of empty for the past couple of years because I haven't released anything, but I've been working on it probably more now than I have in the past decade. You were mentioning also you like doing pixel art for like remastering some existing Pokemon, but also some fake and some potential new ones or ones I made by fan. Have you ever decided to make your own Pokemon? Yeah, I'm not very good at scratch stuff for some reason. I can do it especially if I really take the time to make it look really awesome and re uh, revamp or remaster my own sprites, for example. Because as I got better, obviously, there was going to be more understanding of how the, I almost want to say, anatomy of the sprite should work. And so an old sprite that I made five years ago, I was able to remake in the past year and a half much more effectively. When people might listen to this, they might think, oh, he's just recoloring or remastering. That's not true artistic, like you're not creating as much. But there's a certain aspect behind how you view the colors and view the shading, the sprites, and that color theory, I guess you could say, and the color knowledge and understanding that is often quite a challenge for creators. When they're making sprites or even concepts, they often do it in black and white, too, because they don't always know how they want to color it and that kind of thing. Oh, so you've ha so you have taken like some sprites that were black and white and added color to it? And if so, how did you determine which colors were the best ones? I haven't done it too often because usually what happened was uh, the person I would do it for already either eventually had an idea what they like wanted the colors to be. Because I've, I've contacted a lot of people over the past, like, what, 15 years I've been doing this uh, on DA to like, hey, can I sprite your stuff? And I feel bad because I haven't always like released them. I have a lot still on my fake decks or Pokédex on my computer. But I haven't always shown them like, hey, I actually did a lot of work for these. But when it comes to the black and white ones, it it comes down to the type of Pokemon. Like, hey, is it a fire type or water type? Um, or sometimes when people make fake mon, they have descriptions in the actual either like yeah, below the image. And so that can sometimes be an indicator. But like I said, usually people will just tell me. Man, that's, that's I love the creativity aspect of it. Like just the idea is like, Oh, well, it's black and white, but what if I add these colors or oh, I'm going to go by their direction, but add my little 
artistic pitch on it. That's that's cool. I like that. Yeah. I was just thinking that there was a really cool pixel artist named Water Trainer who I really admired growing up because he was one of those spriters that could actually do something like create some really unique Pokemon. Honestly, a lot of stuff he made look like legit Game Freak Pokemon. One thing he concept was regional variants or even just variants in general. This was way before Pokemon actually did that. And um, so he would make his his starter Pokemon have different features. So like a, a certain spot on the skin would move places or something like that. And it was a very novel concept because the only one in the actual games that would do that would be Spinda, which has like 60 different variations or something like that. And so I wanted to adopt that for some of my Pokemon as well. That's cool. It's kind of like saying it's the same Pokemon, but they all have a unique taste or not taste, but they have all a unique look, kind of like humans. Like, oh, there is a... Yeah. A baby, but a baby has hair. A baby that has no hair. A baby that has teeth, but no baby that has no teeth. Um, well, I'm not saying that everybody's babies, but I mean, like, I get the idea. That's kind of cool. Like, it makes it more unique and it makes it more personal. If they had that more in the video games, like picking your starter Pokemon, let's say Charmander. Well, your Charmander looks different from every other Charmander. Right. Well, and on top of that, too, they started doing it with regional variants in the actual Pokemon game. So in Sun and Moon, they had a Vulpix, which was ice. So it was white. But the original Vulpix is red and fire. And so... The dynamic between their co- the contrast between those two is really interesting. And do you ever at any point, let's say, go off track? I, and when I say off track, but like you see a Vulpix, for example, and you're like, you know what? I'd like to try some funky colors. I'd like to try mm-hmm. a different style on it. Do you do that? I have once. And I say once I, as in like one kind of uh, endeavor, so to speak. I, I made my own Pokemon world map. Multiple versions, actually, but one of them I had well, uh, on the thing on the second edition, I started making my own regions. The first world map was just a compilation of all the ones I had collected. And uh, I tried to give credit as much as I could. But like for the most part, it was just a giant, almost 4K image of this uh, ton of maps. When I made my own regions, I had this kind of idea for in one of the intersections of the regions, there was a berry forest. And so all the grass types in there had a blue and pink uh, berry looking coloring to them as well as well as kind of like a brownish uh, skin tone so even pokemon that were normally very vibrant green would be recolored to that kind of tan or something like that they kind of like go in with their environment i like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and another random question that popped up in this empty space in between in my skull uh have you ever tried or would like to try vr pixel art if that's a thing so when you say VR pixel art, do you mean like just creating normal pixel art in VR or creating like box art? Creating pixel art in VR. Like you would actually see the things from different angles, go up close to it and just have the VR experience for pixel art creation. I mean, I, I'm totally open to a new experience like that. So I actually would love to do it. But I'm thinking what would be almost this is almost like kind of philosophical and they like what what would we want to do would we want to kind of evolve from 2d and start making voxel art i think is what it's called vox like minecraft voxel art that's kind of like the 3d alternative to spriting in a way and so it'd be kind of interesting if like maybe we should do that or perhaps there might be an idea of like depth so instead of making a whole bunch of recolorings which would take up more horizontal space on like an image you could do pixel arts and then behind that the same image but recoloring it and so instead of taking up multiple pixels horizontally like on the 2d plane so to speak it would be 3d so if you ever wanted to switch colors it would just be taking the place of the front sprite that's an actual interesting point you bring up because you did mention minecraft and 
Minecraft is a lot about blocks and how everything is block-like. So have you ever done pixel art in Minecraft? Because I've seen some images online of people who make giant, massive pixel art. They don't make it three-dimensional. They just make it one layer, but they make it massive. I actually have never really got into Minecraft. And there might be pretty sacrilege to many listeners of this podcast, <laughs> but... I was like, it's, it never, it never grabbed me as much. It's not your cup of tea, and that's fine. You don't have to drink every single cup of tea, or else you'd be pretty full. <laughs> I mean, I'm a pretty big tea drinker. Oh, there you go. So this is just the one that's not for you. The other ones are all for you. Yeah, yeah. And what would you say are some of the easiest things to do, and what are some of the hardest things to create in sprite and pixel art? I mean, I'm not sure if this is just a personal thing or if it's just in general, but environments seem to be pretty hard. So... I remember making a top-down remake of a map, Zelda Oracle of Ages and Seasons. I guess this was Seasons because it was a temple. I took the old Game Boy Color style and turned it into the Manish Cap style, which is Game Boy Advance. So going from 16-bit to 32-bit. And it was interesting because when I did that, it made it much more, it had much more depth to it. And I was able to make it look really good and have a nice cohesive theme. And then I actually was helping out a game called Slippery Monkey, which is a pixel art game that was by Corey Font is his name. And he, he hired me to not hire me, but he asked me to help him create sprites and help him uh, with the backgrounds. And so that was kind of my first real foray into uh, side scrolling backgrounds. And so that was one thing that was really challenging for me to do is I learned how to do that and the differences between top down and side scrolling. That's cool. And it's a learning process and you keep on getting better and better. Mm -hmm. So actually on that note, have you seen yourself evolve throughout the years doing this? When it comes to interest and style, I think that I still kind of kept that whole Game Boy Advance era because that's the one I grew up with. But what I really like is making old styles look new. So with, when it comes to Pokemon, instead of spriting Fakemon or creating my own or anything like that, my biggest thing with that has been recoloring or like remastering all of the old sprites into the 3ds models colors so I, I would get the models from the 3ds games and take those colors which are basically the newest versions of those pokemon and take those colors and put it into the 2d sprites and i i swear to you it makes it look phenomenally better oh man i'd love to see that in a video game but i i guess i won't see that anytime soon unless uh, you're working on something <laughs> uh, i don't know maybe maybe you are i i can't tell so actually on that note if you are at liberty to disclose this, uh, what projects are you currently working on? Ah, okay. So <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the overall view. Since I'm not very good at finishing things, I'll give you all the stuff that I can remember on top of my head. So for the longest time, I kept all of my Pokedex sprites into one giant or two giant lists. I had the finished list and the um, in progress list. And when I say list, I mean a giant compilation of sprites that I was putting together and recoloring then moving over to the other list and i realized that for eight generations of pokemon plus fakemon plus anything that i think that should be in there like variations that ended up being really big i have a pretty awesome gaming rig and even it was stuttering at some of these size file sizes of these pokemon sprites and so what i did was i broke it up into generations and so the pokemon in fact this is really good for any deviantart fans of mine to know this too is that I broke up to each generation, so I plan on trying to make it smaller tasks and try to finish each region so that I could be a little bit more actionable and actually get it done. As well as my own region, I also took all the legendaries out, made it into its own decks. 
So that's one thing I was working on was organizing all those sprites. I found myself, instead of creating sprites or remastering, just organizing them most of the time, which is really tedious. And I ended up not doing it as much. I think that's why I've had such a halt in production. Other than that, I stopped making Zelda custom sprites, but I have a whole bunch of like Zoras and Gorons. I'm not sure how much of a Zelda fan you are, but I tried to incorporate all the races in that eco- in that universe and make my own versions of those. And I think they look really awesome in the whole like 2D space because there's some sprites that were never made of certain uh, races, like Rito, for example. And I wanted to incorporate those into that 2D realm. As well as Zelda map, I, I'm taking the Breath of the Wild overworld and recoloring it into the old styles because they were very vibrant in colors and saturated and really awesome looking. So I'm taking some colors from that. I also combined some maps and then a Pokemon. I'm, I'm remaking the Pokemon world map for the fourth time. For the fourth time. Okay. So <laughs> when you say for the fourth time, is it as if like you keep improving it or you're scrapping it completely and starting it over again? Um. So when I, Pokemon, my Pokemon world map one was just a compilation. I didn't necessarily do anything custom per se. I did connect regions. So that was kind of custom little connectors, but that was all more of like a creative outlet. It wasn't necessarily, I wasn't creating much. I was just kind of being creative as to where they should be. And then the second one was a complete wipe away and just did a whole new one but it was very i don't want to say just not good basically because it was i was still learning especially when i'm making my own and so the pokemon world map 3 is the latest one that's on my deviant art and i was very into vibrancy so the colors are very like out there so the greens look almost neon the mountains are look very kind of purplish brown and so i didn't necessarily like how that didn't fall, fall into the traditional pokemon world map looking styles i guess you could say and so i'm remaking the pokemon world map not only with the new regions because two regions have come out since i made that 3.0 but also some of my own new regions and the real big task has been recoloring the whole thing because there's some similarity in colors and i can either do it by hand which is what i used to do or use paint.net for global colors and i found into i run into some issues with that global colors thing no, I don't know if this is an appropriate question, but apparently I don't ask any appropriate questions because my mind just wanders. <laughs> Have you ever done pixel art of something that's never been pixelated before? So like you saw something like a video game, I don't know, let's say Halo, for example. The, Halo has never been pixelated unless people did fan art, but the game itself is very 3D. But have you ever decided like, you know what, I'd like to make that into a pixel? Well, not just one pixel, but many pixels. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I feel like I might have done something like that, but... For the most part, I haven't done anything. Yeah, I haven't necessarily turned anything real into a sprite per se. Until you turn yourself into a sprite. Boom, plot twist. Exactly. <laughs> plot twist. I like it. You just look yourself in the mirror like, all right, that pixel for eyeball. Yes, perfect. Another mm-hmm. pixel for another eyeball. Yes. <laughs> well, I got green eyes too, so I think that'd be really cool eyeballs. Oh, that's awesome. Pixels. Yeah. And neon green. <laughs> yeah. And actually, what are some do's and don'ts when it comes to working on sprite and pixel art? Um, The main thing that comes to mind is what's known as pillow shading. And so I actually had this argument with my roommate who is a music creator. He was making some pixel art for his albums. And so we were discussing shading because he was learning how to do it. I have been doing it for a while. So we were just kind of having this like little debate. And when he was doing his research, he was always learning that Pillow shading is really bad. In my view, I thought I was doing that for the longest time. I guess what I'm doing is actually more custom and more my own unique style, so to speak. But pillow shading is where you're just like making the entire thing 
line by line. You're, you're overshading, so to speak. You're over. You're overdoing it. Whereas when I shade, I make I, I use kind of like my intuition, so to speak, and I try to really kind of go into different angles. There's I really wish I could show you right now what I do. Maybe I'll make a clip and send it to you, and that might help kind of you know, make a little outro or something like that. Because what happens is when I make a sprite or I re-edit a color, I go into it very particularly. I want to make sure that each each color is uh, defined and each each layer has its own kind of place. And so there's like in a corner, I usually don't leave corners uncolored. So if I have a base color, like a base blue, and then I have two more blues for shading, I'll put the darker color in the corner. The other two corners will have like maybe one pixel of that darker color. And then the top the top corner that doesn't have the dark color will have the medium one. And the other two corners will have the medium one. And then the medium one will cover the dark corner as well. So like each corner has a color, but I don't know. It's it's just one of the things where it's hard to explain in words. You know what I mean? I guess that's kind of the point of the podcast. <laughs> but you know what? Luckily, this podcast, a week before and a few days after, what I do is I ask my guests to send me pictures or videos of their hobby so I can promote it. And that way, you can send me a video and then people will be like, oh, so that's how he does it. And hopefully somebody gets inspired and does it with you. Yeah, definitely. Did I answer the question? Yes, you did. You did. You absolutely did answer the question. So it actually is a kind of good segue to my next question because I would imagine this is not something you know you know off the bat when you first start. This is something you learn along the lines, right? So for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started being a sprite and pixel art artist? So like I said before, I was like I collected a lot of my sprites before I actually started really making them. One of the issues, I guess it's kind of related to the last question too. One of the issues a lot of new people do is called splicing. Splicing is where you take like a Charizard and a Squirtle and put them together and make it into like a weird kind of monstrosity, <laughs> so to speak. But it's it's really interesting as like a learning curve. So when you first start, you you want to play with the sprites almost in a way. So you start recoloring it like I did in the beginning, still do now for the most part. And you start splicing it. And a lot of pixel artists take sp- splices and treat them as actual art when Unless they're very, very specific and like some people will take a splice and draw it. They use it as kind of like a actionable idea, so to speak. But a lot of people stop before doing that and they just kind of make a splice and call it a day. I think that getting started, I started collecting too much. And so I started collecting other people's sprites. I, I would go on to Zelda forums or Zelda fan game central and I collected a whole bunch and actually got in trouble at one point because I had made a compilation and I forgot to give credit to the original owners. I wasn't trying to take credit. I was definitely not trying to take credit. I would never do that as an artist. But I put it on a post there. I, I gave credit to some of them, but not all of them. And I was just happily sharing with people. I was like, hey, I found this on a really old forum that no one ever sees anymore. And I wanted to share it with you all. Because like literally, I'll go down constant rabbit holes of just Zelda forums or Pokemon forums and find sprites that were amazing. These artists were awesome. Even if they weren't even the greatest sprites, they were very unique. And like I said earlier, Zelda didn't always have uh, sprites of certain races like Gorons or Zoras and stuff like that. So people would make these really awesome Zora sprites that no one else would see. And uh, I ended up getting like, I think banned from Zelda Banking Central because they're like, oh, you're they got mad at me because they thought I was stealing the sprites. I was like, no, 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 I'm not. And I was sitting here on my old slide out phone on the internet trying to reply to these guys on the forum because I didn't have a computer at the time. And I I was plenty old enough to be on the forum, but they were like, oh, this guy sounds like a kid. We should ban him. And I was like, no, (laughs) don't ban me. Because 
So that was kind of like, hey, you want to be careful about like accidentally taking credit for that kind of thing. That's why I credit every single episode, which I have a guest <laughs> on, which is every single yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or else, no, I'm just having a conversation with myself right now. There's nobody else on this on the other end. Dustin is my yeah. alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I can hold up a conversation with myself. That, that's definitely impressive. But no, you're absolutely right. I I think I was in a similar situation because I used to produce music and then I recreated a track, like a piano song, like from scratch. And then I added a beat behind it and then I uploaded it online and then it's like copyright. I'm like, oh no, I didn't mean oh, to. Oh no. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to make money out of it. I didn't mean to. And I'm like, that's my lesson. You got to put credit where credit is due. Um, I know of another really good example. Mario Odyssey had this really awesome track that came out with the show and all the commercials. I mean, not the show, but the commercials for the game. Uh, Jump Jump Superstar. It was very famous when the game came out. And there's this guy named like Fred, Fred, whatever his name is. He sampled Mario that song and made it into a song called First Date. And uh, it's it's a really nice sample. He really made a good version of it, but he didn't credit Nintendo. And so me and a lot of other people were like, hey, you should you should definitely credit Nintendo because you totally like stole their song. And he's like, no, it's an original piece. <laughs> and he got in a lot of trouble for it. And it's like, no, it's not. I can imagine he's like, no, it's a re- it's an original piece. But he's like wearing Nintendo hat and he has Nintendo yeah. in the video. I was like, yeah, this is original. This is my company. Nintendo. Different, completely different. <laughs> and I'm saying he was like, yeah, I just cre- I just sample I sampled the song, but it's unique. It's like it's not that unique. <laughs> it's the same song. <laughs> It's like I added one bell. Yeah, there it is. (laughs) So actually for you, back to the topic, what is your current biggest challenge? I guess you could say consistency. Like I I was saying earlier, I made a pretty good habit for a long time of doing spriting every day. I know we're talking about my hobby here with spriting, but one of my main kind of uh, endeavors is Poly Innovator, my personal brand. In general, a username or online reputation or just personal tra- personal brand, they all mean the same thing, so to speak. They're all just an online reputation, like, like basically your digital representation of you. And so my personal brand, Poly Innovator, has been taking up all my time. And I've been trying to focus on doing my own podcast over there, the Polymath Polycast. And... Um, what happened was I stopped spriting when I started creating more content for Poly Innovator. And like right after this interview, you might be like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back into uh, pixel art. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's one of those things where I did it to decompress usually mm-hmm. a lot too. It was one of those things that was very ha- uh, relaxing. Like when I got, when I was still learning, it was much more challenging. But nowadays I still get challenged. I just often find it to be more just like, okay, I want to sit down for an hour or so and start spriting something. So it is a de-stressor, but on the flip side, has creating sprites and pixel art ever stressed you out? And if so, what do you do to de-stress from your de-stressor that stressed you out, if that makes any sense? I mean, if something doesn't work to de-stress me, I usually just work out. But uh, I think the biggest stressor was that I, I felt like I was letting people down. So I was like, um, like I said before, I'm a polymath. I took after my hero, Leonardo da Vinci, who is known as a painter, but he was a very diversely talented person. He has he was a biologist and he knew anatomy, ocular science, uh, physics, water physics, and he studied all of that. And the problem of him is that he never ended up finishing projects. So he used to get in trouble for not finishing uh, commissions. And so uh, I really resonate with that idea because I I never got commissioned. But I mean, I helped that guy with his game, but it wasn't paid for. But uh, I felt like my fans were like, hey, I really like these remasters of the Harvest Moon sprites. Or I really like these Pokemon sprites or Pokemon map. I think that Pokemon world map has been my most famous piece because it's been around the longest. And a lot of people have sent me llamas, which is the DA kind of thing. 
um, and like sent me like, hey, I favored this. Hey, I favored this. And I feel like since I'm not creating now, I'm kind of letting them down. That's my biggest challenge. People who are listening, Dustin's trying his best, okay? He, he's only human. He's got a lot of other, I can't speak. He has a lot of other hobbies as well. So, you know, just cut him some slack. I'll finish it eventually. Yeah, exactly. All in due time. He's enjoying his time. He's enjoying life. It's a perfect balance. Well, and I think there's that kind of artist fear too. Like, what if I don't finish by, like, what if I get hit by a bus tomorrow and don't finish or something like that? And it's one of the things too where I kind of thought about since I'm not working on it, should I release like the unfinished Pokedex or something like that? But my biggest kind of thing, what I wanted to do, and I sort of mentioned this on like a journal on the DA page, but for the most part, when I make these Pokemon Pokedexes, I have some fake mon in there, so I'll give credit to like Dark Sylvania who helped me with a lot of uh, designs. That that name comes to mind, but like I'll give credit to the ones that I didn't create, and obviously Game Freak and Nintendo. But uh, any of the Nintendo sprites, I'm gonna recolor all of them. I actually recently, when I started rearranging the big decks into the smaller regional decks, I started collecting all of the sprites from all generations. I think I only, I think I only got rid of a few of them that were really just ugly. Like <laughs> there was a couple first generation sprites for Pokemon that were just insanely bad, and that's because they didn't know what they were gonna look like back then. But uh, for the most part, even some beta sprites that I got from the gold and silver leak a couple years back that happened, that was a big deal. There were some really awesome beta Pokemon that were like, I want these in the games. So I have those and all of the 800 Pokemon that's been out there, 860 or something like that. And I'm going to recolor them or sprite them if they're if they're 3D only and release it to people for using in Pokemon fan games. I don't know if you saw this, but there's this web t- uh, website. There's this YouTube channel called the Did You Know Gaming? And they released a video, I think it was a few months ago, about Pokemons that were supposed to be in the game but just never were released. And a fun fact, apparently Squirtle's final evolution was not supposed to be Blastoise. I think I've watched almost every video on that channel. <laughs> Same, same. It's, and I love the Pokemon ones because you're like, oh, cool. And Pokemon has a dark history as well with Cubone and stuff like that. I'm like, oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. It just <laughs> took like, a dark wow. turn. <laughs> you know what's funny? I saw an image by them today, literally today, uh, that was saying that Pokemon is literally the biggest media franchise. It's bigger than like Marvel Cinematic Universe and uh, some other really big uh, media franchise combined. Bigger than yeah. uh, Disney's Mickey Mouse? Yeah. Wow. It's like they, they have so many different products like trading cards, Pokemon uh, games, and the TV shows. and just, They have gotten their hands into every cookie jar so they're like the biggest media franchise. Pokemon toothpaste, Pokemon underwear, Pokemon eye contacts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they made that. I actually, back when I was a kid, I was always a Pokemon fanatic growing up. I used to just collect anything that I found Pokemon, which is why they probably got so big because there's probably a lot of kids like me back then. I had a box just full of Pokemon stuff. You know what? Same here. A bunch of random stuff. I think, I don't know, I could be wrong, but one thing I don't think they do have is probably Pokemon dentures. Maybe they do. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. Some grills. <laughs> yeah, some grills. You never know. You never know. Poke- somebody at Pokemon right now is listening. He's like, you know what? Yeah, we're going to make those. Come on, let's get some, uh, I don't know, which Pokemon has big teeth? A little uh, segue, actually, real quick. I, not, I guess not segue, but tangent I wanted to mention is that I used to collect Pokemon cards, too, not just sprites. And I managed to collect over 2,000 cards. Oh, wow. And a few years ago, I sold them for 130 bucks, 140 bucks, which was really good. I, need, I needed rent money at the time, too. But uh, I kind of wish I kept those because that was like my childhood right there. I kind of did the same thing. I didn't 
sell them, but I gave them to my cousins as, you know. Oh, that's good. Yeah. But uh, now they gave them back, some of them back, or I can't remember. But yeah, it's, uh, I never knew how to play the game. That's the thing. But I, I feel oh, like really? this is, yeah, I just collected the cards. It's like, ooh, I like this Pokemon. Ooh, this is shiny. But I was a kid back in the 90s. I don't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But yes. I learned how to play, but like I never actually played with anybody. <laughs> You're like, these are my precious cards and I must keep them for myself. <laughs> and actually talking about like darkness when I was saying that dark stuff about Cubone. Uh, what are some misconceptions about people who do pixel art and what's the other word? It's sprites. There you go. Misconceptions. I guess... I mean, kind of going back to that splicing issue where people think that like that's that's spriting, where you're combining two different sprites or something like that. But spriting itself is like creation. It's like a painting a canvas kind of thing where even though I'm remastering, that's what I like to do. I do like creating too when I can or at the very least adding on or sometimes those older sprites, for example, are much smaller than the actual size of the normal sprites. So you have to add on to them and make them look bigger or kind of resize them in the way. And that's almost like recreating them because you have to redo it, essentially. So I guess some misconceptions would be kind of what spriting is. Like you you kind of understood it pretty right, up, right off the bat. But someone who's listening to this podcast would be like, I never knew that's what they were called. And even like when I go on Google Docs, for example, spriting is always like uh, red underlined. It's not a word, so to speak. Even though it's been around for a long time, that's what people call it, the sprites. And so I guess this misconception is like, what is spriting? And even pixel, pixel art is a little bit more common now, but people think spriting is pixel, uh, pixel art is spriting or vice kind of, yeah. I could imagine somebody looking at the title like video game sprite. Like what is that? Like they're just actual sprite, the drink? Are they, is that in a video yeah. game? Is that, what, what is he talking yeah, about? <laughs> exactly. But no, I completely understand. And yeah, it's uh, it's becoming more and more popular these days and Thanks to the internet and some podcasts, it's becoming even more common knowledge. And speaking about, no, this is not even a segue. I'm not even going to try to make this a segue. So what has Sprite and pixel art taught you in life? Well, my life philosophy is balance. And I think that uh, a lot of people like Steve Jobs and stuff like that have also kind of adopted that mentality. And when it comes to everything I've done in life, including spriting, I've always tried to look for the balance and it's not even a conscious effort. A lot of times it happens just naturally. So like I was talking about earlier about the shading, I have almost an OCD level of like, I want the whole shading to be balanced. And so if I do one side, I have to do the other kind of in a way. And there's a difference between like pedal shading, which will be like consistently the same shading the whole time. It doesn't really look too good. It looks like one of those 3D orbs that were in the 2000s or something like that. So something that looks kind of bad. Uh, It's not a good example, but basically... Finding the balance between color, size, and overall just design is kind of what I've tried to go for. It's my philosophy of that. And speaking of which, how long, or not how long, but how many times do you have to like rework a project if you find, if you consider yourself a perfectionist? I would consider myself a perfectionist and sometimes I go back and back and back. How about you? So even though my world maps, for example, have only had like 4.0, quote unquote, I've definitely iterated them a lot. And so like when Pokemon Sun and Moon came out, I essentially almost made it like a 3.1 and then like try to add that region. Then I had like a 3.2 and eventually I was like, you know what? I had to basically redo the whole map because I didn't like the colors. And so I found myself iterating again. And honestly, I don't even know when I'm going to finish that Pokemon world map. The first thing I'm going to probably work on is the Pokemon themselves. And so like um, when it comes to the actual iterations, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm very perfectionist. I'm very 
OCD about making sure everything is done before releasing. So I often find that analysis paralysis when I'm just constantly iterating. And that's one reason why I haven't finished Pokedexes either, because I often try to rearrange them. Like um, I started out with just Fakemon and the first couple of Pokedexes, and then the next decks came out. So I iterate again. I rearranged them into those regional dexes recently, like almost a couple months ago, I think it was. And that's another iteration. And now I have to go in there and organize them all. So I have to get all the Pokemon in their Pokedex order, minus the legendaries. And one thing I found myself doing is that if a Pokemon got a new evolution in a, uh, a different generation, I would move it back to the original generation that that evolution line came from. So like... Uh, Rhydon or uh, Rhyhorn had an evolution in the fourth generation, the Rhyperior. So I took that that Pokemon and moved it to the first generation, even though that's not technically when it came out. And that was kind of like a new iteration that I found myself doing. This was my kind of take on the Pokedex. No, I do know, let's say Charizard has different variations. Oh my God, don't <laughs> get me started on. So if, if someone at Game Freak is listening, stop giving the first generation Pokemon for starters. <laughs> I don't even want to say evolutions because like when X and Y came out, they got mega evolutions. Awesome. Cool. I like it. And then let's see. Yeah, two mega evolutions. Yeah, two. Yeah, two. And then um, I think Sun and Moon came out and he got some kind of Z move or some kind of special thing. And then the new Pokemon games came out, Sword and Shield, where he has a Dynamax form. All all the Kanto starters, like Charizard, Venusaur, Blastoise, all have these special versions of their Dynamax forms, which is like a giant version of them. But uh, in most Pokemon that aren't special, their giant version is just a bigger sized model. But some special Pokemon, like Legendaries and Starters, will have different designs like they're, that are completely different looking on their Dynamax. And so I have the Dynamax on that Pokedex, and I expect to sprite it at some point. I don't know how because I'm not. I don't like doing the. Uh, I know how because I'm going. I've done it in the past, but I don't know how I want to really approach that Dynamax concept because that doesn't make sense in pixel art standards. But just expand the screen <laughs> ten times, something like that. Actually, speaking about the same concept, like Dynamax and different variations, you also create shiny versions of Pokemon. So for people listening, a shiny version of a Pokemon is a rare Pokemon that has a different color from its original base form. I'll be honest with you, I, I plan on doing it eventually, but to put it on the project timeline, so to speak, I still have to reorganize every single dex. I have to, and I, and I mean like get every single Pokemon in their order, which considering I collected all the sprites first that before I'm going to recolor them, there is probably at least like 50 sprites for every Pokemon. And so that's, it's it's insane because it, I don't know why I tried to do that, but that's what I really wanted to do. <laughs> And so I'm rearranging 50 sprites at a time. I say 50, it's probably more like 25 for each Pokemon, unless it's Kanto starters, of course. <laughs> and then put them all in order and then recolor them all and redesign them, remaster them, and then do that for each dex. And then I could do shinies. And also, too, I wanted to do those regional variants where there might be some different color designs, too. You know what? You're just you love the challenge. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. I understand exactly where you come from. Like when I create music, I create a bunch of stuff and I never finish it. It's just there yeah. ready to be picked up whenever I start again. Uh, one thing you might do, I convinced my roommate, uh, Lemonetric, if you look him up, he's really awesome. He makes a lot of chip tunes and video game music, so to speak. I convinced him to do daily practice, so to speak. He calls it sour hour. So he'll create a whatever he creates in an hour, he posts it basically. And it's a daily habit. And that's one thing I focused on as Poly Innovator is productivity and trying to make sure I can get the most efficient process pos possible. 
which is why I've iterated so much on my pixel art as well, trying to make it the most efficient way. And so he started doing daily music. I thought that may be good for you too. No, you know what? I love that. I love the consistency. And that's, I bring the same energy with this podcast. I released, I've released uh, an episode every week for the last, since September, 2018. And now I'm batching a bunch of episodes. So uh, I can release until October, 2021. So for a full year. So far, wow. I'm over 30 episodes ahead of schedule. So that will last me until mid-January. So, you know, I, I do appreciate the consistency and the dedication and the challenge. You, sir, tip of the hat. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I'm glad to be on this podcast. Let me go get my hat so I can tip it to you. <laughs> but it's not about me and my hat, which I don't have. It's about you and your metaphorical hat and everything you love about pixel art. That was a weird segue. And I've said segue many times, <laughs> like how you said your word many times, I'm saying the word. And I feel like the word segue is losing its uh, value at this point. So for you, do you want to use this hobby as an escape from reality or do you want to present it to the world? I've always been a gregarious person. I love people. And I've always really liked the attention that I've gotten from creating stuff that goes for poly innovator and spriting. And so I really like creating and helping people. And that's one reason why I started doing that whole Pokedex for fan games. Like I, I wanted to release that because no one, every time I see fan games online, they might be really cool stories or really cool ideas they want to try out. But the sprites often look pretty bad because they just use the ones from that generation or they even use custom ones that aren't always as good because they're, they're made by people who aren't as skilled. I'm not trying to sound boastful, but it's just, this is how it is. And so I really want to do it to help people and like send it out and make people happy. And they're like, hey, I never thought about that character as a sprite, that kind of thing. And you're doing that by sharing all your sprites online saying, hey, this is my collection. Get inspired, get in contact with me, which is, which is a wonderful thing. I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Well, and like that Pokedex, I, I wanted to release it as a way like, hey, just give me credit and you can use it as much as you want in your game. You're like, I've been bashed before for not giving credit. So, you know, you better yeah. give me credit or else I'm going to bash you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's one piece of advice you'd give to people. But do you have any other word of advice you might give to people who might be interested in this hobby? Yeah, it's definitely. I, I was actually thinking about our podcast today and how I try to teach it to one of my friends. I thought about that might be in like one of the questions talking about too, is that... I tried teaching the skill of this hobby and considering that Poly Innovator talks a lot about education and, and self-learning, I've, I've done a lot of research in how the brain works and how different skills are retained and that kind of thing. I wish I had known this back then, but I was like, what, freshman in high school? I was trying to teach my best friend at the time how to sprite because he was interested in a bit. And when you start spriting, I tried teaching him the way I learned it. And just like any skill, you learn it in your own right. And so... There's a lot of tutorials now. Back on my day, there wasn't any tutorials really besides maybe a blog post by uh, a famous pixel artist or something like that. But for the most part, nowadays, you can find anything you want online. I should make a tutorial one day or something like that. No, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very protective of my work in progress stuff. Yeah, you don't want to release the things that are not done yet. It's like getting half dressed and going outside to work. You know, you want to be fully dressed before you go to work. Except you're, if you're working from home, then apparently people do Zoom meetings without pants, apparently. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that. What if you have to stand up? Like, put some pants on. I would just, like, sink down underneath my desk and, like, slither away. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to just learning how to pixel art, I, I would practice spicing if you like, if you feel like that's kind of an interesting concept for you. Or just literally just playing with colors and going on paint and just drawing around and see what you can do. Learn the tool. A lot of the time it comes down to like tools. When I when I switched from paint, MS Paint to paint.net, I fell in love 
of the keyboard shortcuts because I was able to switch between tools without having to move, move my mouse. And that, that made my workflow almost three times faster, so to speak. And so learning the tool, learning the style that you like. Some people really like Game Boy style. I actually really like the Game Boy color style where it's tiny little, every every sprite and, and tile is the same size. Unlike some other games where the different sprites might be double tiles or something like that. I guess tiles are kind of like the measurement you can use, so to, so to speak, right? So every screen would be like 16 by 16 tiles or something like that. So people really like that particular size or they like the Game Boy Advance kind of palettes or even the GameCube and PlayStations and whatnot have always had sprite characters too in some games. And so like learning what style you really like and kind of going into that one and trying to make other games into that style is really fun. So yeah, that's the advice. Now, this is a really odd question, but have you ever done, like when you first started off doing sprites on one of those graph papers with the little squares everywhere? Because they're always the perfect size for every little square. They're all equal. Have you ever done it on there? I think I tried because I think I remember being in like math class and I got mm-hmm. one of those graph papers. <laughs> and like I said, I was never a very good student. And so like um, I think I might have tried drawing it. But usually when I got maps like that, I ended up drawing actual, not maps, sheets. When I, draw, I got sheets like that in math class, I draw maps because it was more, um, it, it made me visualize an actual world map because that's what I usually draw it on, this, a chart paper like that. So I never did pixel art, per, I, I never did spriting with those square sheets like you're talking about but i did art in a way and another odd question i'm going on these odd question tantrum right now but what game would you like to see like modern games nowadays would you like to see in a more classic pixel art form oh, there was something the other day i was really wanting to see i really want to see some games go back to pixel art i don't really i can't really think of anything off the top of my head that i want to see from 3d to pixel art but i i do know for like example Harvest Moon had some really awesome styles for a couple generations. They had uh, Friends of Mineral Town and Harvest Moon DS, the original DS one. They both shared the same style, which is why a lot of the sprites were kind of desaturated because they were just kind of almost Game Boy colors looking like. And I really liked that style of the world. It really felt like Harvest Moon to me. I guess that's kind of what the game I really kind of got into was Harvest Moon DS and Harvest Moon 64. And so I think that if we can get all the Harvest Moon games back to that style, it'd be much more awesome. Especially on the 3DS. Like, I don't know why there isn't 3DS games that were sprites. There was hardly any of that from what I could tell. But you would think that would be perfect for it. Sprites are sprites and pixel art can really be layered up really nicely. And you can make that 3D effect look really awesome. In fact, there's a video game company or a channel like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. I saw it on a TikTok earlier, actually. But like, um, they take old scenes from old Game Boy games and makes it 3D. You know when you choose Charmander, Squirtle, Bulbasaur, and the original Pokemon games? Mm-hmm. They take that whole room and Gary and Professor Oak and your character and put them up almost like um, little paper models in a way. And so it's 3D because there's different layers to the, the bookshelves and the Pokemon and the, the characters. And it looks really nice. It kind of brings that 2D scene to 3D. That's pretty cool. I'd love to see that. Man, that's awesome. We're, we're, if you, uh, you know, if you have the link, uh, you can send that to me. Uh, I, I'd like to see that. <laughs> I'll have to look it up because I, 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 I scrolled past it. I didn't know where it was, but yeah. You're speed scrolling. You're like, all right, yeah. not important, not important. All right, cool. I want that safe. Work on it. Mm-hmm. And speaking about social media and looking stuff online, I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but do you have any social media links, websites, or projects that you're working on that you'd love to share with the listeners? 
Yes. So right now I've been working on the podcast. I've been trying to make as many interviews as possible, kind of like how you're batching, but I'm I'm releasing them kind of all as they come, so to speak. I should honestly consider batching because I think that'd be better for consistency. But if you go to www.pod.co backslash polycast, which I'll send you guys links online as well, uh, to you, so you can put them in the description as well, as well as my main website, which also links to DeviantArt if you want to get to that page, polyinnovator.space. That's perfect. I'll put that in the description. And once you send me those, those links, I'll put those in the description as well so people can come check it out and show some love and know, just watch your pixel art journey. If that's a thing, that's yeah. You know what? It's a thing. I'm making it a thing. I should actually make a blog post for it too. But why not? Yeah, 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 yeah. This this was uh, an idea we created here together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'll link to our podcast. Yeah, yeah. I, I need the credit. You need to no, no, don't credit. You don't need to credit me. Oh, you got the credit. You got the credit. <laughs> this random guy named Alex forced me to put his name here somewhere, so I'll put him at uh, right beside the delete button, so you know it's garbage. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is that uh, I actually just edited my blog post to automatically embed my podcast and videos. And so I could take this podcast and automatically, I just put the link in my blog post that I make about spriting and pixel art and automatically embed this particular show episode. That'd be kind of cool. So people will be like, oh, so this is Dustin from the other perspective. He's not the host. He's the mm-hmm. guest. All right. Now this crazy host is asking all these odd questions. Yes. We get to know more about Dustin. <laughs> I don't even think they were very odd. They were just very uh, reactive in a way and proactive and actually not reactive but, or a little bit both. So essentially you took the conversation that we had and was very genuine and, and you active listened and were able to make new questions on the fly because you're like, hey, this question could be evolved into this. All right. If you want odd, then I'll give you odd. Have you ever this is a random question during uh, this conversation, but have you ever, let's say you're about to go to sleep or you're sleeping, like light sleeping and you have an idea for a creation or something that you want to do, do you get up and do it? Or you're like more like, ah, you know what? I'll remember it in the morning. Like I talked about earlier, I, I try to study a lot of productivity and like psychology and that kind of thing. For anyone who's listening, you will not remember in the morning. <laughs> Promise you that. And I haven't had inspiration like that for a while when it comes to pixel art, just because, like I said, a lot of the inspiration I get comes from games. And the last game that I really was inspired by was Breath of the Wild, which came out, what, 2017? Beyond that, I got inspired by some of the newer Pokemon games, but I wasn't interested enough in playing them. I tried Sun and Moon, didn't like them as much. And so when it comes to inspiration in, uh, at night, I usually either like I, I remember one time I got inspiration for a slogan. And I was like, I really want the slogan. I need to write it down. So, yeah, I usually will get up if I if I feel very compelled or if I'm like, hey, I'm going to forget this. Let's write it down. For some strange reason, I could just picture you like you're t- about to take a bite out of a pizza, a pizza slice. And you're just like, <laughs> wait a second. And you drop the pizza and start running to go create the, the pizzas on the ground. It's like, forget about it. It's like, what about the pizza? Forget about it. Got it. This is on my mind. I need to leave it now. I need to make it come out. <laughs> I have that kind of energy. That, uh, I guess these kids will say the crackhead energy sometimes, but um, it reminds me. There was I don't remember the name of this. I think it was a writer, a very creative kind of mind. He would he took a string, took it around his head, attached it to a bell, and he would sit on a chair. And so he would like try to like right when he's getting tired, so he'd go to sleep. And as soon as he falls asleep, the bell would ring because right right before you fall asleep is when your brain switches over, so to speak, in different wavelengths. And so that creative state, the alpha state, is where a lot of, you know about getting into the zone. Mm-hmm. So that's called flow. Flow is the optimal mental state. And so a lot of times when I've done spriting, I was able to do it for like two hours straight because I would just get into flow. And I know a lot of very famous athletes, artists, creatives, they all attribute of like being in the zone or the runner's high or flow. 
when you get into that state of flow, you switch over to an alpha wave state. And right in your kind of transition period for sleeping, you get into that alpha wave state. And so you can actually get a lot of creative ideas. That's why in the shower, you get a lot of creative ideas too. And so he would take advantage of that and like basically wake himself up right when he got that idea with the bell. And he was able to go write it down right away. Like, hey, I had this idea. Let's write it down. And I think that's one reason why he, this particular writer got so famous because he has these brilliant ideas and his top mental state. And he took advantage of that. Well, here's a little uh, Easter egg for time for your hobby. I'm actually half asleep right now. So this is why I'm asking all these questions. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I am fully Did awake. I fully... You <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm kidding. I'm fully aware, fully awake. I am asking these questions. It's not because I'm in the alpha state. I'm just in the stupid state constantly. That's why the questions are some well, of the questions are stupid. I mean, but <laughs> when you're in alpha state, you're not necessarily tired. It's just a matter of like when you are tired like that, you get into it. You can also get into it in other ways. Like if you're sitting there spriting or doing your hobby, like when you're editing this podcast or whatever you're doing that really gets you driving to do it, you might get into the state of flow just purely because like, hey, I'm enjoying this. I really like creating this content. And um, you'll get into the alpha wave state just by pure like, hey, I like doing this. Well, it's interesting you say that because right before, like, say some podcast, I'm like, I had a long day. I'm like, all right, feeling a little down, oh, I'm tired. But when I start talking, it just goes boom. All right. This is a new conversation. Never talked to this person before. I'm so interested in how they do their hobby. And then a bunch of questions. Like I sometimes go in like, all right, well, I'm going to ask this question, this question. And then when I start talking to my guests, I'm like, whoa. This is a question I would have never thought of until I just started talking to you. Well, it really expands your mind. That's one reason why I really love podcasts. Just kind of segue a little bit, kind of stealing your word there. Uh, <laughs> one of my guests recently, uh, Nate Pio, he, was, he talks about this concept of a super connector. He really likes meeting people and super connectors are kind of those people that you would see, like, let's say at school, that really popular kid who knows everybody. And he's like, hey, have you met this person? And introduces that person to the other one, that person who is that like, hey, I have this particular skill. And, or I don't have the skill and I need to know someone who does. You go to this person to get that, to know who connects that network, so to speak. He's that person you go to when you need help. That idea of a super connector is what drives him to make the podcast. And he's like, that curiosity about other people. That's what why I segued a little bit. So it's really interesting how you can learn so much from another person. And I'm going to segue from that segue because I do the same thing. I love being the, the messenger, the little man, the little man, the middle man, not the little man. That's <laughs> I am the, Indian, little man. the little man. Yes. The little man with the deep voice. Uh, but no, I love connecting people together. It's like the Cupid effect. I don't know if that's an actual effect. You, Danny DeVito? <laughs> <laughs> awesome actor. I love Danny DeVito. Always sunny in Philadelphia. Great show. I feel like we're just segueing away from the actual topic of the show. But you know yeah. what? It's a lovely conversation either way. It's kind of the beauty of podcasts too. You get in that conversation. If you want to ask me more questions about pixel art, I got the time. Well, actually, the last question, we're already there, oh. is the hardest question of them all. Do you have any questions for me about pixel art and sprites? You said you did a bit of research ahead of time. Mm -hmm. What did you learn in your research? Well, I've learned that it was more of a popular thing in uh, like in the 80s and 90s. It was very popular. But in the late 90s, it became less and less popular with the creation of, let's say, 64-bit and mm -hmm. when Nintendo 64, PlayStation coming out, Dreamcast. And there's more indie games nowadays going back to the pixel art aspect that it makes it cool and retro, but... It's not just like simply, oh, making pixel art for the sake of pixel art. They're making a story. They're creating an adventure and they're making it really fun. Like I have, I have this game, like I mentioned on the Switch, which is a six player game, pixel art, where everybody has a bone, bone arrow, a bow arrow, 
and you try to shoot the other person and it's mm-hmm. a simple game but it's complex so it's like easy to play but hard to master and i love yeah. those kind of games well it seems like my kind of take on that is that a lot of pixel art games you, you the people choose pixel art usually like you said because of that retro and kind of nostalgic feel but a lot of times it might be because there's certain concepts that would be too difficult to apply for like like I've seen some uh, side-scrolling games, Metroidvania and stuff like that, where these creative directors, the people who made the games, the indie developers, wanted to really come up with a new way of playing or a new way of ideas. Like Celeste. Celeste is a perfect example yes. of this indie game going into – they wanted to make a really interesting gameplay experience. When I saw Celeste, I thought it looked kind of boring in a way. I don't like platformers as much. I, I sometimes really get into them. Like I got really into Celeste and beat it. But um, I definitely did not do the B size or C size or I think even D size now too. I didn't do the advanced ones because there's those the the nuance to that game is so advanced, and you couldn't necessarily do that per se with 3D. I don't think at least not without a, t- a big team and a ton of effort into it. So having that nuance to the 2D realm, and I think that's what kind of really goes into the title of the episode, the two-dimensional vividness, is that two dimensions can be manipulated more in a creative way. Even though 3D has more capabilities, that's why you were saying it was more popular in the 80s and 70s, because that was the only way you could do it. So you had to get creative, like, hey, this one dot is a character figure out how to use it, how to move it, that kind of thing. Like that's what some of the original like uh, Atari games were. It's just a few pixels. And yet these games had like riveting experiences. I remember playing the Atari and I I played it after playing PlayStation. And I still would go back to those games and uh, try them out and experiment with them. And uh, I remember even making like Atari like sprites, even though they were just single colors, just kind of playing around with that. Have you ever played a game called Starbound? Oh, I know it, but I haven't <laughs> played it. I, I think I looked up the sprites too, because they were really cool looking. I've always loved that game. It was so fun. I have many, many hours in that game. And it's like you travel different planets and you work with your friends and the animation, the story is just beautiful. I just, I love it. I, man, look at what you're doing. You're making me go into this nostalgic era Hell of yeah. like, I want to just play all my pixel art games. And just sit back and relax, have my, I don't know, bowl of cereal and <laughs> fruit roll up yeah. and all that. <laughs> Go back to simpler times. Get get your tea. Yeah, get my tea. The right cup of tea, right? <laughs> the right cup of tea. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Dustin, for just coming on and just expanding my mind and also bringing back some wonderful, wonderful childhood memories and bringing those childhood memories to the future or the present, I guess. And actually, maybe even the future as well. And I just can't thank you enough for that. Speaking of the future, there's a lot of like cyberpunk games that are taking up pixel art now that look really awesome. But thank you for having me. (laughs) And thank you for taking time for my hobby Ah, on time for your hobby. (laughs) Pun intended. Yes, I love it. And so, yeah, that's the future of pixel art. You never know where it's going to go. And it's going to make a comeback. It's going to make a big comeback for sure. Yeah. Definitely. So if you guys want to learn more about Dustin, you can go check him out in the description below. I'll put all the links there so it'll be very easy to find and follow. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you know, you can leave a review. I, I won't say no. And if you want to show some more support, I sell merchandise on Redbubble and I also have a Patreon where you can, you know, support there. But once again, these are optional. You don't need to do it if you don't want to. So once again, thank you so much, Dustin. Thank you for having me. And guys, go support him. This guy is awesome. Eh, I'm a solid five out of seven, but yeah. <laughs> seven out of five. Seven out of five? Nice. I broke the boundaries. So, so until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.